Hello, and welcome back to the Wheel Talk podcast. My name is Abby Mickey, and we are here to chat about the Tour de Romandie and some transfer news. I'm joined today by my lovely team, Lauren Rowney. G'day, g'day. Still Gracie's line. <laughs> <laughs> Gracie Elvin. Now what, I'm, what am I going to say? <laughs> Hi, everybody. <laughs> Can you do an American accent? Howdy. Hey, no, y'all. That was, that was terrible. <laughs> I love how American accents like default to the South. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the We All Talk podcast, where we talk about women's cycling. Before we dive into today's episode, you can support the Escape Collective in a way that suits you best by becoming a member with unlimited access to our web content. You can connect with editors on the Discord or stay in the loop with our weekly member newsletter. But if you aren't super keen for all of that, you can also just become a reader and have unlimited access to the content that we publish on escapecollective.com. There's a bunch of great stuff on there, some amazing tech coverage from Ronan McLaughlin, James Wong, and Dave Rome. The three of them are like the holy grail of tech coverage um so i love everything that they do a little bit different from what what we do here at the wheel talk podcast but still really fun to follow what they're doing their stuff is up there ian trollor with all of his deep dives and wacky news um the spin cycle is one of my favorite things that we've got going on right now with johnny long so check out what we've got going on at escapecollective.com become a member or a reader what whichever suits you best at escapecollective.com slash join all right i think we should talk a little bit about transfers first because i can never remember which ones we've talked about but i believe the ones that i have listed here we missed the last couple episodes um jacob lula announced that they had picked up a bunch of riders a couple from live uh racing tech find Silka Smolders and Jan- Janine Korova from Live. So they're going over Quinty Ton as well, who's the, I believe, the like athlete representative for the CPA. Um, was talking about the weather protocol at the CMAC Ladies Tour. So the three of them are going over to Jayco Lula and also Anna Trevisi from UAE Team ADQ. Mm. She's kind of a longtime member of the Peloton um, Italian. So interesting signing for Jayco Lula. And I feel like the more that the team, the more riders the team announces, I mean, there's like a couple riders that are retiring and, and a couple riders that aren't being re-signed. It seems like after going through a massive upheaval of the core team that they had for a really long time, like was it two years ago, three years ago, that it's going to happen again to that team. Um, and I hope that the the riders that they have had the last couple of years that are going to stay are able to shift with the new riders coming in. I feel like it's always a weird dynamic when you have riders that have been a part of a team for a long time or even a couple of years, and then you have like a massive onslaught of new riders coming in and um yeah like jess allen retiring for for one is going to be like i think a pretty big blow to that team um but they they definitely have riders that are staying but i think yeah i'm curious to see what this this shuffle of jaco lula does to the team for the next for next year and years in the future mm-hmm. i think is alex manley the only um what would we say? Almost originals. I think she signed on around 2015. So yeah, she's basically I was thinking the, that. Yeah. She must be one of the, yeah, kind of originals left. 
Um, and also they don't really have any big names anymore that I can really think of. Like Alex Manley can definitely win races. Georgia Baker can win races. We've definitely got a few developing Aussie talents there. Um, and then much more international mix once again. Feels like it's losing that Australian um, edge, even though they have to have a certain amount of Aussie riders because it is still a Australian reg registered team, but it's very far removed from the Aussie development days of past. It doesn't seem like it's a, a team where they're really trying to cultivate Aussie talent anymore. It's just they have good Aussie talent on it with other talent. And in my mind, I see Jake Olula now more as a, I don't want to say second level team because that doesn't sound good. I'm, I'm really not trying to like bag it out or anything, but it seems more of a team that's just off that level of world tour now. I just mm -hmm. think that they um, are still trying to be a top world tour team. And I think it, it might even be worth a while to step back and maybe not have even a world tour license going forward, um, or at least try and really focus a lot of their energy on some of the smaller races if they get starts at them, because I think that they could really develop some of these riders and get good results. But I think that they're um, asking a lot from this the current team and the team for next year to be trying to get top world tour results. And again, I don't want that to sound bad, but that's just my honest opinion. Looking at the the nationalities on the team, I mean, they they were already super um, diverse in their nationalities the last two years, but they've got like Norwegian, obviously like Erska Zigart, Slovenia, and uh, two Italians. So three Dutch riders coming in, Spanish, Swedish. It's like, yeah, it's going to be even more international than it was before. And who we don't know about is the the Australian trio of Georgia Baker, Alex Manley, and Ruby Rose McGannon haven't been announced yet What where they're going. We know that Kristen Faulkner is leaving the team and that Jess Allen is retiring. And those three are the three that they haven't announced if they're keeping them. I would be shocked if they didn't stay, but we'll we'll keep everybody posted on that as the days go on. Mm, I feel, I mean, yeah, like you said, it hasn't been announced, but with the 2024 Paris Olympics coming up, uh, being track riders, and I still feel, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, Gracie, there's some sort of association between the track and that team, it seems, a little bit. Um, but, again, yeah, I find it just its a bit sad because when I look back at the, the history of that team, um, like Gracie mentioned, there was always one big international rider um, that was scoring a lot of points, but at the same time, um, the Australian riders that were on that team, I, it feels to me, developed into really strong riders themselves, whether it was being led by example by those international riders or or getting opportunities. Um, so it doesn't feel like it's a pathway anymore. And someone was asking me the other day, actually, for Australian riders, um, does that pathway still exist directly to a World Tour team? And I don't think it's the same situation anymore with Jaco. I think like some contacts are still there and I think that they, like I said, they have to have um, probably three to four Australians on the team at all times just for those UCI quotas um, per registration. But like I think that 
that's the pathway now is that if you get lucky that a spot opens up for you as an Australian, that's it. But I don't think that they're necessarily um, scouting Australian talent directly as much as they were in the past. I don't know if that rule is um, like really it really exists anymore as it used to because like for truck segafredo or little truck i mean mm-hmm. they in theory have to have more americans than any other nationality and they only have the one mm-hmm. like, I, I don't yeah, know I was yeah. interesting i yeah. think that they did away with that rule a couple years ago but i can't mm-hmm. remember if that because i remember like when trek first formed the women's team uh they were yeah they were trying to find americans to sign and i spoke with them briefly and then they they signed ruth um but there was like this question of like having a certain amount of americans and then i think the next year it was like oh okay it's not as big a deal Mm -hmm. we can look into it for the next episode um but yeah i remember something about that rule changing or being uh yeah because there was also remember back in the day they had the average age rule oh yeah that's why i got signed (laughs) yeah exactly i got my first contract just because of that (laughs) yeah and then they did away with that one as well um so yeah interesting anyway uh, i'm curious to see if the the live development team like being linked to Jake Olula has any impact on Australians still being able to come come through in some way and Americans as well um, with Liv, of course, but we will see how that shakes out in the future. This one I found really interesting. Pauline, mm. Paulina Roekis from Canyon Stram to Phoenix to Kunik. Remember, she had like an awesome couple rides last year. There was a couple races where she was just like super strong, but it always just came down to her handling abilities, which were um, not great and cost her some results in the end. And so, yeah, interesting to see her going to Phoenix to Kunik, staying in the world tour, but and not really a step down, I would say, like a step to the side because Phoenix to Kunik has really proved this year that they, they're quite, quite a good team, a young team, but a good team. Um, so I'm, I wonder how that will be. I think it'll actually be really good for her in her development. I don't know how good of a place Canyon Stram is to develop as like, I think that they develop young riders well, but I think if you're an older rider who needs some attention, that it's maybe not the place to be. Um, but there are teams out there that will work with you no matter your age. And I think that Phoenix Sukunik is probably one of them. Yeah, it's. I think you're exactly right there, Abby. Knowing that team and and still a bit of the old management, um, they're happy to work with riders um, on their weaknesses, uh, develop their strengths as well, of course. But um, with Royakas, unfortunately, it just doesn't seem like she's improving at the rate that she should. Um, I'm doing the little inverted bunny ears. Um, and that's kind of how I see a, a rider like um, on Jaco Alula, like Erska is always on the back too. Um, and it's it's not a joke of the commentary team, but I swear on GCN, uh, whenever there's a back um, angle from the camera, the commentator will always bring it up that that's like her resident place in the peloton and 
always feel a bit bad for those riders that um, they've been a few years in the peloton, but they're just not seeming to to develop that really core ingredient of being a pro cyclist. And so for for Oyak is yeah, it's it's great. You know, she's gotten another ride on a World Tour team, but um, they're a really aggressive team the way they race. So hopefully they can somehow get her. I don't know into the earlier moves, but in different races where maybe um, the courses aren't in, as intimidating in terms of. Um, yeah, narrow roads and such things. But for me, I think she's still going to just see her on the back. That sounds almost terrible, but that's just my impression. I'm, I'm kind of glad you brought that up, Lauren, because I was thinking that too, especially wa- watching Romandy. And I, I did notice that commentary about Erska, and it's not the first time they've said it, but we're all thinking it. So it's kind of harsh when they say it, but it's like so obvious and it's frustrating, mm. especially if you're in your first year of racing, you get that free card to be that rider. But mm-hmm. in your third year of being on a big team, it's just it gets frustrating. And I can only imagine how frustrating it is for the directors and the other riders on that team. And, Lauren, you and I have been in situations where we've had teammates that it doesn't matter what you say, they're just not going to fight in the bunch because um, they either are too scared or they don't quite get it. And, like, I know that they're trying. It's not that they they don't try or they don't want to be there. Like they, they, they are doing their best, but ultimately talent's not enough in cycling. It's not enough in most sports, but definitely not in cycling because you have to have all the ingredients. Like it's you have to be willing to fight. You have to be willing to improve your skills at quite a decent rate and positioning is like a core skill Mm -hmm, (laughs) it's just mm -hmm. like if you see a rider on the back constantly for years historically in my experience they're actually never going to improve if that hasn't changed and it's like it's such a a waste of talent really but Mm -hmm. it's maybe just not the right sport for them yeah and that does sound harsh but that's the truth (laughs) no you're spot on there yeah not everyone can be Evie Stevens no. no, but even now, I think Evie Stevens in, in the era that we're in, like she wouldn't be getting the results that she got 10 years ago. That's yeah, just I a fact. Right. Um, because like Gracie said, it is such a core ingredient. And we did, you know, over the course of women's professional cycling, um, you've always had the, those freak athletes um, with incredible engines and were able to just get by. Um but it's, it's just you can't anymore. You have to have it all, all the ingredients. Um, and it's sad to see, but like Gracie said, it's, you know, it's not the sport for everyone. It's an endurance sport, yeah, but. And now, especially nowadays, like like you said, Lauren, maybe 10 years ago is different, but now you you really need to have those technical skills. Yeah. Like it's the, the peloton is so much faster than it was even five years ago. And we'll see some young riders, like I'm curious, uh, a rider that comes to mind is someone like Kim Kadzo, who's only 21, but she started the sport late and she's someone I do notice um, hanging off the back too. Again, first year pro, like Gracie said, you get a bit of leeway once you're trying to find your way around the peloton. But after a few years, if it doesn't click, the World Tour teams, will their interest will move on from from such a rider and put it in someone else because yeah that's just the nature of the sport and how it's developed but you can be you can be on a team a world tour team that believes in you and puts in the time and effort to try to teach you 
And I think with Paulina, she's not had that. And so I think, I hope that Phoenix Takunik is a place that will, if they've signed her, yeah, that they'll help her develop more in her in her technical abilities. Same with Kim Kadzo, where she rides next year, whether it's Yumbo or another team, I think another team would maybe be more interested in helping her develop. Yumbo is not that place, I don't think, but... Um, it's a Dutch yeah. team, and it's... It's the Dutch. They they expect very... you to be able to, to ride in a peloton. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> speaking of speaking of Yumbo, so they announced two riders that they that they've signed. Um, I'm just gonna. The, everyone knows I can't pronounce names. Although somebody gave me kudos for being able to pronounce names on the Placeholders podcast uh-huh. recently, and I don't know where that came from. I must have been. I don't know, half asleep or something and slurring, and then it sounded right. Um, uh, Minty Gertz from Mancha. Destiny. Mancha? Mancha. So it's uh, because there's a little thing called Nancha in the Netherlands, which is mm. this little bunny rabbit. It's Miffy, actually. So I just know oh. that. Mancha. <laughs> Yeah, the 19-year-old on uh, Lotto Destiny. So she's signed for Yembo Visma as well wow. as um, Margot Vigie, Vigier from France, 28-year-old from, yeah, mm. Life Plus Wahoo. Did I say that? I think, I don't know. Anyway, she's she's also signed with Yumbo Visma. I find that a very interesting signing, actually, um, for them. But, yeah, two riders to, to Yumbo Visma. And then FDJ also announced two more signings for them, Corley DeMay, which is a name that I think um, everyone mm-hmm. would – maybe recognize she's been in the sport for a while 30 years old um but she's been she was on fdj before before it became um the world tour team than it is now so she's returning to the team for on a two-year deal and then leah coroner who has been on um dsm for the last two years and before that she was on archaea another french writer only 22 so yeah adding some french some French talent to their their roster for next year. And then um, also Canada, EF Education Canada announced a bunch of signings that we missed. I think the most interesting one is Lada Hintala yes. signed. Yeah. yeah. I was actually yeah. really surprised by that. Just, you know, I thought um, her whole comeback, the story was, was really inspiring. Um, and how AG Insurance really got behind her and they the, were the ones who were like, we think you should come back and we'll support you the best you can. And um, I think she had a great season as a first season back in the peloton after being a mum and stepping away. And, yeah, I just thought it was interesting to, to move to that team um, and another American team. Yeah, yeah, that'll be really – that's a really interesting move. I'm curious to see mm. – why I don't know if we'll ever know why she would step away from AG Insurance. Um, she's not been racing with them a ton in the second half of the year, so I feel like there's a story there. But I'm not going to ask her. And then Claire <laughs> Koppenberg <laughs> from a couple years at Cofidis, she joins the EF Education Canada team as well as Lizzie Stannard from Israel Premier Tech, and they re-signed uh, Mags, the young Canadian on the team, which is awesome. So, yep. That's the that's the biggest transfers in the world tour slash EF's not a world tour team, but they're world tour adjacent. I feel like they're yeah. They're gonna be operating weird... as you would assume a world tour team. 
Yeah, should. exactly. Mm-hmm. They'll be operating better than a couple of the world tours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Especially now, like, so with the, I, I keep an eye on the demotion relegation situation. And it seems like all of the world tour teams that are currently world tour teams are going to hold on to their licenses, whether they should be world tour or not, basically mm. on technicalities. Like <laughs> Examples. <laughs> yeah, because Jayco and Liv are merging. Yeah. yeah. So that like has that one spot and UAE's development team has landed themselves within the relegation, but they can't be world tour because they're a development team. They're pretty high up, actually. I feel a couple world tour tour teams should maybe be embarrassed about that. Um, But yeah, so so because of that, there's like two to three spots because EF is folding. So there's three spots in the top 15 that are basically open. And that means that Human Powered Health is real premier tech and... Um, would you throw Uno X in there? Probably. I hate to do it, but it's kind of true. So I feel like this year, in terms of how they've raced, is the best that they have raced for sure. Since I think they're improving massively. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I agree on the upward trajectory. Mm, Points for trying. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. But but we were just. We were just like super harsh or not harsh, but like super um, real about like hanging off the back of the Peloton when you really should be farther up. And I feel like I don't. it's still a professional sport and, and whether you have the money is one thing. But if you yeah, if you can't. I don't know. I hate I hate being negative. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's complicated as well. So it is uh, very complicated, ain't that the truth? Yeah. Anyway, all right. We'll talk more about the relegation slash promotion um when the season's over. We've only got like a month to go until then and, and we'll dive into that a little bit more. Should we talk about the Tour de Romandy? Doesn't it feel Might like well. it's over after this weekend? I don't know. It's not. We still have the China race. <laughs> it's just because I've seen um I guess some people are on holidays already, so it's like, oh yeah. Normally this is the week of worlds, but here we are. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's Europeans this weekend. In, oh, of uh, course. In the they do the Bamberg. Oh, fun. Yeah, so fun. <laughs> uh, so yeah, because you like for anyone who doesn't know, worlds and Europeans switched spots on the calendar this year because of the super worlds. Um, so we would normally have had this this a month ago, but now we have it this weekend. So we'll be interesting to see if uh, Lorena Weebus can hold on to that European national no, national European champion <laughs> jersey, and uh, or if it's going to be somebody else who claims it for the year to come. But Tour de Romandie, the last European stage race of the Women's World Tour overall. Wow, went Danny out with a bang in Europe. No, it was such an aggressive tour. It was. Like, was like, all three stages were super aggressive, really aggressive. And I feel like there's a lot to talk about with all of them. Um, like, there's a lot of big picture stuff to talk about. Should we dive into the first stage first and kind of see where we go from there? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so first stage, super aggressive, really fast. It came down to a bunch sprint, but... 
Not really, because there was a solo rider off the front who almost took the win. She sat up too early and was passed by Sofia Bertizzolo for her first world tour win, which is kind of crazy because I feel like Bertizzolo has been there and thereabouts for Mm -hmm. years at this point. And it wasn't until she won the first stage when I realized that she's pretty young, actually. Um, But yeah, first world tour win for Bertizzolo and Karina Shrimp. She almost had it. She was real close. It led to some interesting back and forths on social media where she claimed that she sat up in frustration but she looked really happy in all the photos. <laughs> so it was definitely a salute. I was, yeah. I, think, <laughs> I reckon we all made a sound when we watched it separately, like, oh yes. no. <laughs> <laughs> Have you learned nothing from the past? Yeah. Oh, it, it happens at least once a year, if not more. Like yeah. it's kind of funny, but also just heartbreaking. <laughs> so painful because she's hey, tried. Yeah. You know, she she's had a great season, this rider. Um, when you look at her results, like if you just quick scan, you think, okay, there's nothing that impressive, but she is a rider who is out there on the attack. And it was a brilliant late attack. And I really thought, holy crap, like with 200 to go, she's got this because she was holding the pace. But yeah, so close, but no cigar. <laughs> Don't post up too early. Yeah. If she'd just do, done like two more pedal strokes, yeah. she would have had it, is the thing. And then, yeah, so Sophia was just coming, like, way faster from behind. Yeah. It's good to see at least someone else, like, someone new get a win. So it was kind mm-hmm. of, like, good and bad at the same time. Yeah. I think it would have been pretty cool for Phoenix Kunik to take another World Tour win after their their win at the Tour de France Femme of yeah. X-Swift. But it was still, like, yeah, definitely for Sophia – I think she's a rider who she's won, I think, the junior world, uh, junior European championship. She's been like a promising rider for a long time. And for her to win a world tour race finally is just going to boost her confidence. And especially, I think, after UAE, maybe this year didn't have as good a season as they did last year. Like last year, they were a huge talking point at the end of the season because of Sylvia Persico. And then this year, I think there was a lot of eyes on Persico and like Marta Bastianelli in the beginning of the season. And Persico really didn't have the season this year that I think we would have expected of her, which is fine. She's a young rider. Like I think that she'll have great seasons to come, but I think that that team would have leaned heavily on her. And so for another rider to be able to get a win when they've been focused so much on Chiara Consoni and Persico mm. is pretty, it's pretty good to see. Like we want teams to have that depth and uh, we'll talk about it when we talk about Kenyon Stram in this race. But I feel like the more teams have depth and have more riders that they're able to go for, the more that we're not going to have the situation that we have this year with SC works. Yeah, thank God for the teams like Phoenix de Kunik and Canyon Shram who have been racing so aggressively and then getting close to the win or just pulling it off. Like, uh, yeah, like you said, we're going to get into Canyon Shram's racing. But that has, I'm sure when we have the season wrap up, those will be two of the teams that we'll be talking about a lot and have made the racing really exciting. 
Yeah, let's talk about Canyon Shram, actually, because I think we can link Canyon Shram into stage two. We had, I think that somebody counted and Cash and Iwadoma attacked over 10 times on the first stage. <laughs> and the second stage, Canyon Shram had tons of riders in there. Like in the, it was a really mountainous stage, two category one climbs. After the first cat one climb, the peloton was significantly reduced, and we had Anna Shackley of SC Works and Sylvia Persico up the road. But Canyon Shram was doing a bulk of the work, all of the work, mm-hmm. with their their young German riders, Antonia Niedermeyer and uh, Ricarda Bauernfeind. The two of them were doing a bunch of work, and then we also had Elise Shabby and Kashiniwa Doma in that group. So they had four super strong riders. They were the only other team that had that strength in that group was SD works. And I feel like Canyon Shram is in this situation where we were really hard on them earlier in the season. And if you look at their season as a whole, they've, they've had like quite a journey, all of them together. And they, Mm -hmm. they rode really well on the second stage. It was the, with Niedermeyer on the front, she reduced the Peloton massively and then when Bauernfein got on the front she did the same and it kind of set it up perfectly for Demi when she went but Kasha was able to just sit in the wheels and basically have a free ride and then Kasha did what she does and maybe got a bit enthusiastic work yeah (laughs) I got a little excited but like still for her to finish second on the stage we we want her to win but it's like these baby steps that Canyon Tram is taking that every single one of them is going to add up and I just hope that that means that they can like carry that into next season and we see them succeed earlier in the season next year because I think that they are really pulling in like all of this new talent and really Mm -hmm. utilizing it and I and I think it means that they know they know what they're doing now I hope maybe I mean I I would hate for them to change because I love how aggressive they are they make the racing so much more exciting but I also want them to win more so it's this weird kind of tightrope that they're walking tightrope tightrope that they're walking at the moment yeah, I feel like, um, you know, the the new import of uh, they've got a new DS this year. I guess he, he's in the car mostly now. I'm not too sure about that, but just it, they're really fighting for the win. That's the difference now. Like Cassia had every chance and opportunity on stage two to win that stage. I really thought she was in the running and it's it's different to what we saw before, but that's because the, the team itself has that climbing prowess now. Um, they really have got the numbers. Like you said, I think um, once was it Shackley got caught, they had four riders, SD Works, but Canyon Shram still had three um, and they were the most well-represented teams and then everyone else was kind of just individuals or ones and twos. Um, so that that's the major difference here and it's building confidence um, in Cassia, I think she's really confident that she can do it. And I'm curious to see what happens next year um, in these tours. And then on top of that, these young riders, like um, the two German riders, I think they're going to develop themselves from this aggressive style of racing um, into their own GC contenders for the future. Yeah. And I think that's the key word. They're young. They've got that that fight and that hunger and they probably don't have 
that feeling of the pressure to lose yet. Like they're just trying stuff and that's helping Cassia because this young blood in the team, they're all just having a crack and they're, they're kind of helping her feel like she doesn't have as much to lose as well. I think that's kind of rubbing off on her too, which is cool. Mm-hmm. I think that she's feeling a little bit of pressure to retain her spot on the team, her like leadership role with a bunch of the riders that are coming in and able to win world tour races. She's got like the, the notoriety that it's harder for her to win than for them to win. But I think that having them there and especially Chloe Daggart is, is kind of a fire under her ass to maybe switch things up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Kasha loves to win. Like, She's yeah. a winner. <laughs> and it's not like she's not been working hard. She's She always works hard. I think it's just a matter of her, like, trying new things, maybe. But she came really close on the second stage. Demi Vollering is quite hard to beat, as it turns out. Well, it looks <laughs> like, you know, she, she's come down off the Tour de France world had a bit of a break and has built back up and she was really strong again on the weekend. But that said, I mean, like she was breathing hard too. It's very obvious when Cassia is is having a real dig and a crack at it because she's very uh, expressive in her face. But you could see like it, w- it wasn't an easy win for Demi. Um, it wasn't a win where she just rode away. So I think that made um, just in general a really nice race to watch. Yeah, and I thought um, looking at kind of the rest of the the top 10-ish, that there's some interesting things to take away from that. Um, Marlon Rooser in third, she had a pretty good ride for, mm. for it being a final climb. And I, I was curious about um, how stage three was going to go with Demi's comments after the race about how like she would like to see Marlon win on her on home soil. Um, but we'll get into that in a second. Uh, Juliet Labus in fourth is f- unsurprising. Um, she's an incredible climber. Nee Fisher Black, it was great to see her in fifth back up there on the climb. Three, four SD Works riders in the top five with Anna Shackley in ninth. Just like classic stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess I was pretty surprised that Guy Riolini finished a minute down on that climb I think like for her it wasn't maybe just wasn't hard enough of a climb for her to excel or just wasn't steep enough it was it was kind of there was a pretty big group still going into the final two 3k um but maybe it's been a long season for Riolini for such a young rider so I was surprised, but I also, yeah, I also hope that it's something that she's not going to, like, beat herself up about. You know, like, when you're a young climber and you're in a race where there's a mountaintop finish, you put so much pressure on yourself. Whether or not you're riding well, you think, okay, I'm a great climber. Everyone always tells me I'm a great climber. I'm going to be able to climb well. And 10th isn't bad at all, but we also saw her climb incredibly well earlier in the season. So it yeah, I, I. No, you're spot on. I mean, even yeah. the commentators uh, 
were saying like, oh, she must just be licking her lips waiting for this final climb. It's got her name written all over it. But actually Gracie brought up this point as well, that the season, um, particularly for young riders, it, it is long. And some people are flying right now and some people are just waiting for that last race to be over and to, to get on their vacation and start thinking already about 2024. And mm-hmm. so for her, I'm sure if she was in her typical form, like what we've seen, say, at the, the Giro, um, she would have done really well. Speaking of um, like a hard season and, and somewhat, I've seen a couple of people on the Discord chat bring this up as well, something I've been thinking since Worlds is like, why is Marlon Russo still doing so much racing? Like mm. that's been surprising to me that they, I don't know, it didn't seem like she got much of a break, especially after such a big blowout at the time trial at Worlds. I wonder if it's because she felt more pressure in a time trial environment than she does in a road race. It looks like she has a lot of fun when she's racing in a road race and it's obviously like a very different role. So I Mm. think that I, I would hope that the team isn't making her race when she doesn't want to, or when she's mentally, she feels like she's not ready to be there. Um, But I do think as one of the, top riders on that team that they would listen to her if she's saying like look I really need a break um and that she's in this race because without a time trial there's less pressure for her or even like especially the world's time trial and her being her and everyone being like oh Ellen Van Dyke is out Marlon Rooster's gonna win there's no competition well that's so much pressure for her Mm. for like the entire year building up like the second that Ellen announced that she was pregnant, the pressure was on and then she was would have been feeling that all year long. And I think that that's the reason that, that that all culminated in the time trial as it did. But I think for a road race, it's very different. Mm-hmm. Good point. And I mean, next year, the Worlds are in her home country. So um, as well as the year. I meant Australia. I don't know where in the world anywhere is. <laughs> Um, because the champs are, are in Zurich. So that will be a huge goal for her. And, of course, Ellen Van Dyke will be back in the peloton then. But, hey, the I'm putting my money are... on Grace Brown next year. It's not a bad bet at all. <laughs> Segway. Sorry to go completely off topic here, but Ellen posted that she rode 17,000 kilometres in 40 weeks of being pregnant. That is amazing. I love that you bring this up, Gracie, <laughs> because I rode on the road for the first time on Saturday since January. Yes, since January, other than like riding around on my town bike. And it was 45 kilometers and I'm only 23 weeks pregnant, but it was so uncomfortable. And I was like talking to my friend about it. And I'm like, how has Ellen been riding like consistent three hour rides? Don't get it. (laughs) I know I'm not an athlete, but it's good job, Lauren. Good work for getting out on your bike. Well done. Thanks. Um, But yeah, like on average, that's 60 kilometers a day for 40 weeks. So obviously she didn't do that, but like she would have had some easy days and some longer days. More, yeah, exactly. She was doing like three hour rides and stuff. So, but she was bloody fit before she got pregnant too. But like still. All of the variables, it's still impressive. <laughs> Man. That's why I, I reckon, like, she, she's still in for a shot next year and she really oh, believes yeah. it in, in Paris. So, uh, anyway. 
Incredible women. Huh? <laughs> yeah, some of them are, they're just like a different breed. I oh, yeah. I expected yeah. nothing else. I swear I saw pictures of her and her TT bike with a pregnant belly. I'm like, how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, meanwhile, I had like my freaking handlebars yeah. like this. And I was like, it's like a Dutch just town bike. Upside down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. That's so crazy. I, I couldn't ride outside after like four months. I just it's rode the too train uncomfortable. Off. Yeah, it was awful. Like I couldn't get my bike every, like, in the 45 position. Minutes. Nice. It's just if you ride the trainer, you can just hop off and go to the bathroom. It's like <laughs> not and there's snacks, like there's the snacks. <laughs> snacks a key. <laughs> and a fan. <laughs> oh man, that's just so crazy. And like really impressive, but also like don't try this at home, kids. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She's doing this under guidance of many professionals, I'm sure. Yeah, got a whole team around her, I'm sure, like every medic, medical team, mental Not team just a Swift training program. Husband. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not just Danny Rose uh, Swift training program. Bump on board. <laughs> yeah, my, that was my jam for like five months. <sighs> anyway, yeah, Marlon. Back Rose. to the race. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So the the Demi's comments after the stage really made me believe that they were going to be riding really aggressively on the final stage for Rooster to take the overall. But it was mostly Canyon Shram again and a little bit of DSM that did most of the aggressive riding on that final stage. Um, it did come down to a bunch, a reduced bunch sprint of like 25 riders. And it was won by Liana Lippert. And I want to break down this sprint. Because I wrote something on the site because watching the sprint, I feel like there were moments of the sprint and the leading up to the sprint that I felt it was notable to dissect. And then as I was writing it, I was like, I don't think there's actually enough for me to write an article out of this, but it was too late. And I just would like for two people who know more about sprinting to weigh in and tell me that this was an interesting sprint. (laughs) (laughs) It almost didn't, I don't know. I've only watched it. Twice, but um, yeah, I'm curious what you think, Gracie. But like, yeah, Femme went really early, obviously, and that's what they said. Um, I almost felt like at the point when she went out, it would have been a perfect lead out for someone behind her. But um, yeah, it was, I don't know, a bit messy. Yeah, it was messy. It was like a messy 5K into that. Yeah. So it was kind of like, Everyone's a little bit tired. It's only a three-day tour, but by day three, you're tired of any tour. So tired legs, smallish group, lots of corners. The Swiss roads are beautiful and smooth, but there's still a lot of road furniture to navigate. They they've, they saw the finish twice, I think, before then. Um, so they, they kind of knew where they needed to be positioned and um, no, like, real sprinters in that group yeah. compared to the rest of the season. So I think everyone's just a bit on edge about who's taking the leadership in a lead-out situation. Didn't seem to be any lead-outs. It was messy um, and it was won by someone that was strong enough to just keep herself in good position the whole time. And that's what Liana Lippert is proving herself to be very good at. And she's probably been good at it for a really long time, but we're really noticing it this year. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just, you just need that like five minute power, not just like that peak power for that kind of sprint. Even 
of course she's got a good 20 minute power but you just need that really really strong five minute power roughly so you're holding that high pace and you're able to move yourself up you're not spiking your watts too much but you're also just hovering below that red line where other people go into the red if they're moving themselves up and she's just got that really good power now to survive that kind of um, positioning changing she had a bit of help from her teammates but that's just how you win a sprint when you're a little bit of a class above everyone else in a group of 25 Mm. (laughs) good timing too yeah I felt like timing was a huge part of it like she she had Paolo Patino on the front with in the final kilometers like the final one point something k because there was still attacks going all the way up until 1k to go and so paula was on the front for lippert and then when paula peeled off that was when femme van empel went mm. and i think that femme it wasn't that she went too early it was just that she chose she to go choice. long yeah mm. because yeah. the road bended so it yeah. wasn't like it wasn't the wrong decision per se she just didn't have the power to hold it because yeah. because she was on the front, she could choose her line when the road curved in those final 300 meters. And I think, like, had she had a little bit more of a kick, she she would have won the stage. Mm. But Lippert just had been in the wheels, so she was able to patiently wait and use her bullets more effectively. And there was a moment that I found super interesting when Lippert was behind Marlon Roser and she could have gone right or left. And had she gone right, she wouldn't have had to stop pedaling, but she chose to stop pedaling, move her wheel around to the other side of Royster and then go because she had a way clearer line on the left side. And what I found super impressive about Lippert and this win was that she, she had the legs, but she also had the, the like clarity, like her, her brain was fully working enough to be like, okay, I'm going to go to the left of Royster instead of the right. Um, because that was the line that was clearer to the finish. Um, so I feel like it was like a super fascinating sprint in that because we didn't have the sprinter types, it meant that it was a little bit more slow motion. So there was more elements of it that you could kind of pick apart versus like when it's a proper sprint and it happens really quickly. It was slower, and I think, yeah. I mean, another really great win for Liana Lippert. I think mm. it's her third or fourth World Tour win, But I, I and I was surprised that she didn't ride better on stage two, but like we said, it's it's been a freaking long season. And, I, yeah, one of the things that also really impressed me about her was the end of the race, her post-race comments, she was so confident. And for a rider that young, obviously she just won, so does come into play a little bit but for a rider that young to just be so confident in her own ability is really cool yeah and she's gonna need that confidence going into 2024 where she can be the leader one of yeah if -hmm. not the biggest leader on that team so yeah good way to end the season well that said i guess they're gonna be racing next weekend a lot of these riders yeah i think a lot of them will be on sunday at the at the europeans um, I'm curious if Demi's going to go to the Europeans actually, or if I, I imagine she will, uh, especially if it's, the I mean, it's a home race, Yeah, but, uh, maybe she'll be working for, for some other Dutch rider. I mean, she, she's yeah. won enough this year. Yeah. For Weebers. 
she's won enough this year. It's getting boring. <laughs> she's like, I can't. She's, there's no such thing as winning enough. She just wants it all. No, it's but like, the, oh. on the topic of Rusa, um, actually, it, w- it would have been too much to, to segue completely to the Europeans. But like you were saying, I was also really surprised how well she rode um, this past weekend. She was just incredibly strong, like we've seen the rest of the season. But this coming weekend is the time trial, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that will be interesting. I mean, you would say on paper she is the one to be and she currently has form. So uh, yeah, I'm very, depending. very curious. I think Rihanna Marcus might give her a run for her money, but we'll mm. see. Any other major talking points from uh, from the Tour de Romandie? Kane Tram? Aggressive, all three stages, really aggressive, all three stages. Um, Hopefully they carry that kind of momentum of adapting, growing, becoming more successful into next season. Demi is very good at bike racing. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I... I think, yeah, it was cool to see in that final stage that other teams were really aggressive and, and SD Works had to play defense. They didn't, I think they wanted Royster to win, but they didn't really have any other choice than to just ride in defense of the jersey. Um, they couldn't play with the Peloton as much as they have all year long. It wasn't like they were in control the entire time, mm-hmm. which I found fascinating. There was also a move at one point that had Cecily Utrecht-Ludwig, Vollering, Kasia, and Liana Lippert in it. And I was like, man, any other <laughs> year, like any year previously, the race would be over. But it wasn't. Like, women's cycling has changed so <laughs> much in the last three years. Um, Am I right? I'm right. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> SD Works, fun fact, I was just having a look after the results this weekend of the – the World Tour rankings and the individual UCI rankings, and I think they've got four riders in the top ten. So yeah, they're very good. That kind of speaks volumes about the incredible depth and Just amount this year that of winningness. Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. It's so crazy. Uh, but next race, besides the Europeans this weekend, is the Tour of Trungming Island, October. 12th to the 14th three sprinter friendly days very sprinter friendly days i expect to see Lora- uh, lorena Webus there she's the defending champ she won all three stages in 2019 the last time the race was held do you think she'll go is she on the list i don't know i mean i think she will but uh, but also maybe sd works skips it i i would lean more towards hmm I wouldn't want to go to that race if I was. I mean, if it's not, if, <laughs> if I won Rebus, that much already, <laughs> it's going to be Chiara Consoni, I bet, mm. who wins a lot. Um, I'm going to wrap up the episode. Somebody asked me on the Discord um, how I started this podcast, and I just want to give a really brief answer before we talk about what we're obsessed with. Um, in 2017, I was making eight grand that year racing my bike. And it wasn't enough to pay my rent and also buy food. So I was like, well, I'm going to start a side gig of having a podcast because there was Patreon and I figured that um, somebody would want to hear what I had to say. So I started a podcast called the Wheel Talk Podcast where I would interview riders, DSs, like mechanics within the women's bubble. And very quickly that podcast got picked up by Vox or I got picked up by Vox Women 
and Lauren was working for Fox Women and we started podcasting podcasting very much like this this podcast um, about the races and just talking about women's cycling, the news of women's cycling. And that evolved into being um, the freewheeling podcast for the cycling tips uh, for cycling tips, which is when Gracie joined us. And uh, uh-huh. yeah, then when that um, came to an end, we I reclaimed the Wheel Talk podcast, uh, revived it from the dead. <laughs> and now this is where we are. <laughs> well, it's like seven years, Abby. I can't believe it, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the those old episodes are do exist in the feed, uh, the, some of the writers that I interviewed. Um, and if anyone listens to them, I mean, the audio quality must be just terrible. And I really didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I've always, I've always been able to make friends very easily. Like when we were, when I was a kid and we would go camping and stuff, I would have a best friend from two grand campgrounds (laughs) over within like an hour of getting to the campsite. Um, so podcasting and interviewing people seemed like it was a good fit for me. And, uh, and here we are. So. I don't know if it worked out, but I'm definitely having fun chatting with hey, you too and about Hey, podcasting back then was a lot harder because we just went off what we were reading on Twitter and race reports and there was trying no to pull live coverage. pieces yeah. together of what the hell happened in the race. And and then, you know, basically speaking with writers is how you could get a lot of um, on the ground sort of. Remember when you literally went to Flesh Alone for Vox Women and there was no live coverage and you were standing at the finish line with your <laughs> with your phone, like live streaming the finish? Yeah. <laughs> that was only like four or five years ago. Like- no, no, no. That was 2017. Okay. Well, Thank God still. we've come a long way from then. And I still remember interviewing Cassia before the race and she was like really excited about it because her family were going to be there and watch watch a race and then she podiumed. And so that was that was very cool. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Crazy we've come a long way. Now we can watch the racing. <laughs> Thank <laughs> Thank the Lord. All right. What's everyone obsessed with this week? House things. Yay! <laughs> because i'll be moving houses in november so it's like very exciting i'm obsessed with it but at the same time terrified too because i've realized how much stuff is involved with <laughs> moving like packing up but then also making sure you've got all the right things um and that you actually order your curtains and blinds on time because uh, <laughs> that takes a while um that's a good point yeah yeah so house things. Nice. That's exciting. Crazy. But also moving sucks. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm actually the same. I'm doing house stuff too. So I'm doing a bunch of DIY. And I every time I get quotes from people, I'm just like, ugh, no, so much money. So I'm just like, I'll do it myself. So I'm learning how to um put a pergola up with some help and we're doing some landscaping. So I've just hired a mini digger and a skip bin and I'm going to clean some bricks and I'm going to make our garden nice. And yeah, I'm just becoming a bit of a tradie lady, which is kind of fun getting ripped, getting big jacked arms. (laughs) Gracie, (laughs) I I think last podcast I said, you're going to have to, I mean, we're moving towards winter now, obviously, in Europe, but, like, next year the garden is, like, a big thing we need to do, and I think DIY is such a nice thing to do. 
as well. Um, we haven't had time for anything else within the house, unfortunately. Hoping to get some secondhand stuff um, that will give it a bit more character. But definitely the outdoor stuff, um, I'm so excited about having a little garden and maybe some chickens and things like that. So and we've got actually the house came with um, – What's it called? In in Dutch, it's a Sarah, but uh, a glass house, a hot house. Oh, a greenhouse. Cool. Greenhouse. Yeah. Green grow so, tomatoes. Yes. Yeah, we got a little greenhouse. Um, so that will be Project Twenty Twenty Four. Yeah, that's awesome. That's and you'll be a pro things. by then. So. Oh yeah. Give me it's all so the nice tips. being retired and like having time and your own place Energy. to like cultivate stuff like I'm not buying herbs anymore I'm growing them and that's so nice because they don't go off I just pick what I need and they're in the pot it's great yeah. <laughs> uh yeah the there's like no basil anywhere in Andorra I can never find basil I need a basil plant um mm. I have finally been able to watch Barbie last oh night. wow and yeah I loved it. I cried like three or four times. I feel like being oh, a mom good. watching it like made it even more emotional. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, yeah, there was a lot that I, I feel like it was, it was pretty short. They packed like a ton into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved every second of it. <laughs> Do you so love good. Margot Robbie more now? Yes, 100%. Because so, like, I'm <laughs> obsessed with her. Like I said, I'm not obsessed with celebrities. Like, I never have been, but for some reason. Margot Robbie? Yeah, she's just, yep, my whole past. She was the perfect, yeah. perfect person to play Barbie. Oh, yeah. She's amazing. And Lauren's I, hung yeah. out with Margot Robbie. So yes, it's a fact. What? Yep. Yes. Yep. Friend of a friend. Mm. Very jealous. That's yeah, nuts. way back when. That's a story um. for another time. <laughs> Probably the coolest thing I've done in my life. <laughs> in reflection <laughs> i feel like i saw like a ton of um a ton of backlash to ryan gosling being ken mm. and i don't know like who could have done that better like no. he was amazing yeah like everyone was amazing just, i'm obsessed everyone with was, yeah the whole casting was amazing like america ferrera was awesome like all everyone, the sex education stars i love that yeah show. there so were so like, many sex education yeah. actors in there <laughs> And the one guy is about to be Doctor Who. He's the new doctor in Doctor Who. Oh. Yeah. Man, I'm so excited. Anyway, it was great. I'm obsessed with Barbie. <laughs> the the um, soundtrack was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you I'll, cried because I saw it with Lauren when I was hanging out with her and I cried that whole time. And then mm-hmm. I saw it again. I made Kimberly watch it with me and she didn't want to watch it, but I made her watch it and I cried even more the second time. <laughs> 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 I love it. Uh, Are you going to let Lila play with Barbies? I think I Barbie? will. Yeah. I have Barbies. I mean, if she wants to. Yeah. I had Barbies. I had my mom's Barbies. Like, my mm. mom gave me her Barbies. So they were old and, like, all the clothes were handmade and they weren't super fun. But, you know, you know what I absolutely loved as a kid that I really hope that Lila likes, which is actually owned by Mattel. They didn't used to be owned by Mattel, but American Girl Dolls, which hmm. you guys probably wouldn't know being from Australia. Um, but they started out as like, you they were like historical dolls. So there was like one from 
the Great Depression. There was like one from the um like I don't know, the, the revolutionary period. There was like a bunch of different historical dolls. And uh and it was always like a the one that you had, you were like super proud. Like I had Samantha, um, and she was like, I can't remember when. She must have been like the um she would have been like the gold rush maybe i don't know Mm. anyway and then my sister had molly which was another none of this means anything to you guys but somebody listening (laughs) will be like oh yeah i had this one and then they they also did like lookalikes so you could pick if you wanted one with blonde hair and green eyes or like black hair and brown eyes or whatever and so i had one with blonde hair and green eyes i named it abby jr um, <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, those dolls were like everything. Yeah, it's hilarious. My mom was like, "What do you want to name her?" And I was like, "Abby." <laughs> just like me. <laughs> yeah, you got to have something relatable. It's good to see some more diversity and yeah, yeah. Actually, well, I'll tell you a story about it off mic because I definitely can't put it out <laughs> into the world. But, um, but yeah, so I hope that that Lila has some interest in American girl dolls just because I still have my American girl dolls and um, we have so much cool stuff for them, like skiing equipment and camping gear and like climbing stuff. And there was a, I went through like a figure skating phase. And so she's got like figure skates and like a little outfit. And so I, I'm like, I hope that all of that, my mom saved every single thing. And so I hope that it all kind of comes back and that she wants to play with those, but she only wants to wear her hat backwards and ride her bike around. So I don't know if she's she wears a hat a- backwards. Yeah. <laughs> like, she wakes up in the morning and she like points at her hat and she's like, hat, hat, hat. And then I give it to her and she puts it on backwards. So I don't think she's going to be a doll person, but we'll see. Uh, They all go through funny phases. And if anything, if she doesn't like it, you still get to play with them if you Mm. introduce them. It's true. You'll probably still have fun anyway. Every once in a while, I pull my American Girl dolls out of the closet and hide them in my sister's room because they're quite terrifying if you (laughs) don't know that they're there. Uh, but man we had so much fun with our american girl dolls anyway all right (laughs) thanks everybody for listening we'll be back next week to talk about the european championships and preview the tour of chungming island thanks you too for your time bye